This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a show all about screen culture, from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. A big thank you to Phoebe for the last three hours of maps. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and joining me in the studio is Cerise Howard. Hey, Cerise. Hey, Flick. How you doing? Oh, I'm mighty fine. How about you? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. For tonight's show, we're going to be reviewing a film that has been labelled one of the most controversial movies of the year. It's Body Horror, Titan, written and directed by Julia Ducono. Uh, Listeners may know Ducono's uh, debut feature, Raw, which was about a young woman who develops a taste for human flesh. Uh, Raw is one of my favourite films, so I was very, I'm very excited to be chatting about Tatan later. Yeah, me too. Mm. But first, um, we had a few subscriber screenings the other week, and one of those screenings was the Romanian film Bad Luck Banning or Looney Porn. Now, Cerise, um, you were able to chat with the director Radu Jude earlier, uh, oh, earlier last week, I think it was? A week ago. A week ago, mm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we dig into your interview, can you tell listeners a little bit about Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn? I can. I can. It's, um, it's a lot. Um, <laughs> one of the more unforgettable openings in recent cinema. In that, there is a double entendre in there somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, so contemporary Romania, very contemporary, pandemic era Bucharest. Mm. Um, a school teacher, um, a youngish woman named Emmy, um, is suddenly finds herself embroiled in a local scandal, a sex tape that she has appeared in and unbeknownst to her been uploaded to the internet, has somehow found its way um, well beyond any scope she might ever have imagined for it. And it has created a moral panic, especially around her school, um, where she is to be subjected to a... Uh, a tribunal to determine whether she is of the right moral stuff to remain as a teacher. So that that's the plot at its barest bones. But what this is, in a very peculiar tripartite structure, is um, a reckoning with Romania's past, present and future. Um, some of it is narrative-based. Some of it is extremely in-your-face wouldn't have got past the senses a few years ago. And and some of it is very Godardian or um, Brechtian, um, yes. just very removed from the world of narrative, 
and yet telegraphing what will occur in the third part. So the whole second part of this extremely peculiar, wonderful film, <laughs> something of a lexicon of um, matters that uh, inflect and infect Romanian culture today, um, which will in turn inform the sort of kangaroo court proceedings that we see in the third part. Mm, absolutely. Well, with that wonderful introduction, let's head straight into your interview. Welcome to Primal Screen, well, I do. and uh, a real joy to have the opportunity to have a chat with you about, in particular, your film, just opening in cinemas in Melbourne now, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, a much-awarded film on the festival circuit. I have to confess to having had a little part in a recent award at one in Moscow, the East-West Golden Arch Award, for I was on that jury. So congratulations oh, thank you. there. Thank you. And I believe your film might be in the running for uh, an Oscar nomination yet as well. Yeah, it's proposed by Romania out of a lucky serendipity because it was a, a commission of film critics who decided and it was a three younger critics and they they were the one to choose it because it was surprising for everybody we didn't expect that with <laughs> this kind of well I, yes i think it would be one of the more provocative films to ever be in the running for an oscar yeah probably i've followed your career for a while and i'm very aware of your interest in particularly exploring romania's past and the issues that it seems to not like to confront very directly in the 20th century and before yet your new film whilst coming at that sort of inquiry as well seems very much of the moment and very resonant even here in melbourne right now it's very much a pandemic era film did the inspiration to make this film come to you in the midst of the pandemic oh uh, no i i would uh, i would be very happy to be able to finance a film so quickly you know but uh, no actually it was a older idea and uh, the project took uh, took a while to, to get financed. And just before starting to shoot, the pandemic came and we stopped. And then uh, we resumed after the first lockdown. And uh, I, uh, during all those uh, two, three months, uh, I had a, a lot of time to, to think and to somehow decide what to do. So uh, my decision was, uh, because there was a lot of, uh, how should I say, a lot of uh, inquiries or pressure in the production department saying, well, maybe we wait another year maybe don't do the film now and then i said no let's because i made uh, as you said a few films about the history of uh, or related to the history of romania and of europe and i wanted very much to make this time a contemporary film so uh, where the pandemic started it was for me just another element to add in the film in a way and of course it created a kind of of more absurd situation because well people have uh, should concentrate on this problem but I mean, the characters in the film, but they still have a problem with a poor sex tape of uh, a lady. <laughs> a bit ridiculous. So you've been able to, to use that sort of as a, a lens, the hypocrisy around uh, what sort of sexuality is tolerable to be aware of, to discuss, to perform um, as, as a lens to look at other issues concerning Romania and I would say that the wider world with well, that conceptualization. Uh, yes, but uh, you know it, it. It it's really it's really uh, um, complicated to to how should I say to to speak about the whole world. I mean, it's really uh, something that uh, it's uh, beyond my uh, 
my um, abilities, capabilities, how should I say? But on the other hand, I believe that the films, for me at least, as a viewer, I'm speaking now, not even a filmmaker. As a viewer, I like local films. I, I like films about local. Uh, things, even if I don't get everything from them. Mm-hmm. For instance, my favorite Australian film is Terror Nullius by oh, Soda yes. Jerk. Yeah. You know it? I do, yes. And I think, I'm sure it's much more, I know a bit about Terra Nullius concept. I, I know uh, about the massacre of the indigenous population and uh, about the, the horrible treatment uh, of them. And I know maybe a few of the Australian films which are featured in that film, so that jerk movie, but I, even if, so I'm sure an Australian gets a lot of details there, which I, I don't get, but in the end, it's such a wonderful film and such a, a great, uh, crazy, wild uh, movie that even if I don't get some things, I, I know they are there and what I get from this local film, it's a lot to, 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 to feel myself fulfilled. And I hope uh, uh, the same thing. I made a film which speaks uh, about a very local attitude towards things. Uh, I don't know how it is in Australia, how it is in Africa, how it is in the United States. You know, it's uh, always... Uh, uh, but as I said, I, I, I believe in things uh, which are local, <laughs> you know, in local films. Well, for all of the, the local specificities in your film there's a lot there that i think is resonating well well beyond romania and um this idea of cancel culture have you come across that phrase yes yes of course yeah yeah. yeah. that it seems very pervasive and it's it's certainly found its way to australia and and well beyond i i would wager is is that something that's very much in the contemporary discourse in romania or is it more confined to uh, let's say an intellectual, emotional elite who discuss and worry about these things. Yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, it, it's it's uh, very interesting because uh, much I am against. I mean, when you, when you say cancel culture, it's always uh, for me a kind of very vague concept because some things I, I, I am for, you know, canceling them or not taking a, paying attention to them. And others, I, I think there are more uh, nuances. There is a feminist writer I like a lot uh, called Nina Power. And at some point she said that she's against cancel culture because, you know, for some things, you need more time to grasp them, to understand them. And uh, in this kind of social network uh, society, People don't uh, wait one year to think of an issue. They spend one second and they say, I don't like it, so let's cancel it. And I'm, I'm not uh, for that. But uh, what can I say that in Romania, the intellectual elite is quite, let's say, right-wing, the most of them. And they use to be against, I mean, they are against political correctness and cancel culture, but only because they want their uh, stupid ideas to to be uh, to be on uh, on uh, to exist you know to have the right so they, they if, if they say you know uh, why can i do or say something racist against the roma population you know uh, and they will say well this is cancel culture political correctness why should i i want to express myself as i want and if i want to insult uh, this minority i can do it because we hate cancel culture so i think romania is oh, 
mostly on the opposite spectrum of these things you know it's it's really it's really such a conservative uh, and reactionary society especially in the intellectual and artistic world maybe in in the young people uh, there's a little bit of change that uh, you know, I think we need a lot of political correctness uh, here. You know, <laughs> I'm accused. I'm accused all the time. Uh, my my films, which deal with uh, Holocaust, they say, "Well, this is a guy that uh, became a, a communist, and he's doing that uh, against the country for the globalization of the political correctness, and so on and so forth." Or for this, they said, "Of course, he he's against our morality." our traditions because he what does he want to 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 accept all the perversities in the world in the films and that's not art anymore what is the art you know it's it's really crazy to to see that well you have in, in your film this it's sort of three part structure certainly not a conventional three act narrative but three discrete parts and the, the second part is something of a, a lexicon you introduce a sort of a, an alphabet of matters that then get discussed in this sort of what we would call here a kangaroo court, this sort of a trial. And yeah, it's a strange term, but um, yeah, um, a trial uh, of people who are probably ill-equipped to really weigh in with any reasonable opinions, but it's uh, an extraordinary discussion that emerges. And many of those same conversations are, are happening here. And, and conspiracy theories are abounding here. Would you think this might be one of the reasons your this latest film of yours, investigating some of your regular concerns, is resonating more widely, more globally? Oh, absolutely. I, I think, I think uh, much as I said that the films are local, but I think the problems in them are uh, or might be changing what is to be changed relevant to other societies for sure and uh, and uh, yeah and in this case uh, yes you see it all over because somebody said uh, and i was not really aware of that that this kangaroo trial as you nicely call it uh, it's more modeled uh, not on a real encounter uh, like that but more on a social media kind of reaction uh, and tr- social media trial in a way and i think it's it's quite accurate and i think this kind of trials and you can see it because now uh, we i live in romania but i also live in the internet land like we all do you know so if i open my facebook page or my instagram page all of a sudden i see something from the united states something from mexico something from australia and who where else uh, so all of a sudden you see that the the the, the mechanisms of this trials are the same in a way it's exactly the same thing something something start uh, on a, around a, a problem a real problem or an invented problem doesn't matter and then uh, people get hit up and then insults coming on and then uh, the discussion diverges to other non sequitur things and it becomes a huge mess that you talk. Uh, this is why I stopped actually commenting on Facebook anything. I mm. don't do it anymore because I used to, you know, a few years ago. And you know, you lose one day just if you <laughs> don't work, just to, just uh, answering insults or insulting other people or or justifying your position. And that's really not my style anymore, not my my game. But yeah, I think it's all around, and I don't know. It's 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 in equal parts terrifying and fascinating. I think you know, especially now with the with the COVID thing, you know, uh, it's really a, a, a great uh, because we really have a collective psychosis here. It's only thirty percent of the people vaccinated, and people are really really going crazy, and the conspiracy theories are everywhere, and just 
uh, a few days ago, uh, well, a man who was a very vocal anti-vaxxer and going to anti-vaccine uh, meeting and uh, all these kind of things, very, very loud, uh, died of COVID. And he refused the oxygen tubes uh, in the end. And then I saw somebody who's a theologian. He was a theologian as well and said, well, I mean, the guy who died had two small kids. And uh, he said, well, we must be so proud. And these kids must be so proud of their father who died with such a dignity, refusing <laughs> the medical treatment of this <laughs> shit. <laughs> It's unbelievable. But you see that, you see that. And, and then there were like hundreds of comments saying, yes, I would do the same. <laughs> and there was also one comment, which I think was very nice. Uh, he said, well, how can you accept the lack of dignity of crossing the street on a streetwalk, on a, on a zebra, on a... That was, if you've just tuned in, that was Radu Jude, the director of the recently released Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, chatting with our very own Cerise Howard. And we're going to continue the conversation after this. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Hello, I'm Radu Jude. I'm a Romanian filmmaker, the director of the Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, and you're here on Primal Screen and on Radio Triple R. You are indeed listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Cerise Howard and myself, Flick Ford. That was, of course, Radu Jude, who Cerise had the pleasure of speaking with last week, and we'll be playing the rest of that conversation uh, very shortly. Um, Cerise, I'm loving your conversation with Radu because I bloody loved Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. It is such a curious film. I I don't know if I've got the words to talk about it, but I actually felt like I wanted to sit there and take notes, especially during that second part, um, which is kind of like a montage uh, essay, visual essay, perhaps. Um, there's so much to unpack in this film. And I love that they had this like observational style to it, but also um, there's a lot of humor in this film as it, well. It is a, at, it, intermittently incredibly funny. <laughs> And uh, has one of uh, one of the closing scenes of all time. Really, it's a big call, isn't it? But honestly, no <laughs> one's going to no <laughs> forget it anytime soon. No, that's for sure. It was really interesting playing um, "Bad Luck Banging on Looney Porn" as part of the subscriber screening because um, I feel like it really uh, works out. You know, so, sorts out the wheat from the chaff of whether you're going to get along with. <laughs> with each other um yeah a wild wild film um I, I don't know whether it's gotten that much um you know it's you know whether there's enough buzz around it because I mean I'm I've mentioned it to a few friends and they went across it and I've just recommended it to basically anyone who'll um who'll listen to me yeah right on <laughs> I mean it's extraordinary and no one's going to watch and go well I've seen that again and look if they've seen any part of it in a sense it might be the first part in which case well that's going to be an awkward conversation at some <laughs> point anyway um yeah it's it is a one of a kind um, and it's very about Romania, but it's so applicable. Many of its lessons, I think, applicable to Melbourne Town 2021, yeah. anywhere, really. Well, yeah, because it, it goes into this philosophy of life, almost, and how we determine what is what should be public and what should be private as well. Look, 
I'm going to allow for us to dig back into your beautiful conversation with Radu Jude, who is the director of Bad Luck Bunging or Looney Porn. I'm curious just to talk about some of the logistics of shooting this film in the time that you did. Like, for example, how, how do you organise a hardcore sex scene shoot during a time of social distancing? Oh, you know, that's uh, really funny that I had a kind of intuition, let's say, and that scene was done one week before the pandemic started. It was the first thing I've done in advance. And I did it, I don't know, I had a kind of, of feeling I have to do it before, before, before everything in order to be sure that I get it. Uh, and then I said, oh my God, how would we do it now? So that was done before, uh, hopefully. And uh, otherwise, it was quite easy to do because Katia Pascariu, the main actress, and I, I would make a comment here, but she's quite brave and she said, I don't have any problem with anything. I said, well, but you know, I have a problem. I, I would go into penetration, sex scene like that. So maybe I would take a double, which I did. We, we took a, a, po- a professional porn actress for that. And for the husband, although I wanted the guy more chubbier like me or like, you know, not a good looking guy, we uh, we only found uh, porn actors who are good looking. So, well, I made this compromise and took uh, Stefan Steele uh, and he was and actually then the scene, you know, we did it uh, with the mobile phone uh, and a few people around. Uh, it was complicated with the location because, of course, you would go to people and say, well, we would like to rent a room to shoot a porn movie and nobody would let you. And so we did it in the we, we organized the room in the product producer's office, actually. So we did it there. And um, and then it was really easy to do. I mean, it, it took us two hours to, to rehearse and just do it. And uh, you know, everything was really fast. And did you hesitate at all to decide for the subsequent parts of the film where the characters are very much demonstrating that it's a it's COVID era production they're masked or not masked there's lots of discussions about that and mm-hmm. was that something you thought about um, knowing that that would position this film in a very particular time well uh, I didn't hesitate but uh, at the beginning but I was made to hesitate because of the others around <laughs> because for instance the some of the producers said no no don't do that people with masks nobody will look at the film are you crazy it's uh, and at some point I said but why not I mean it's it's fun it's really fun to see these people arguing and with all the, and we collected all the masks that were back then on the market now it's hundred times more models you can make because I wanted to make a, a kind of anthropology of the mask models and mask wearing and so on and so forth. But um, then no, though then then I didn't hesitate. I, I did the film. I also made it in a kind of spirit of freedom, paradoxically because um, although we had. Uh, two or three co-producers we before that uh, we went with the project in in a co-production market in Rotterdam and in Berlin one in the previous year and uh, the response was somehow weak producers say well I'm not interested into that or I don't see any prospects for this film being in a festival I don't see any prospects for being distributed and uh, so on and so forth so all of a sudden people didn't feel like it's going to be a good film or something so when we made the film, we I had this feeling that, you know, anyway, it's a film that nobody believes in. So we can do whatever we want. Maybe it's the last feature film I'm doing with, uh, with the real financing. So we felt very free despite of the pandemic conditions because of that. So it was a real surprise that the film was quite successful, I would say, for 
for my standards. It promptly won the Golden Bear at Berlin, um, which was a pandemic edition festival that only yeah. occurred online. Did you materialise online in some fashion to accept your award or...? How were you able to bask in the, the glow there of your success? No, regarding success, you know, that's something interesting because in the end, um, well, I, I know that all our uh, culture and arts, especially, and films even more, are organized around this notion of success or failure. So if you're successful, then you can make more films. If you're a failure, then you don't make films or it's harder. And to be honest, to be really, really honest, I don't believe in that. I sometimes really despise or completely dislike films which are, let's say, successful. And I like a lot films which were not successful in, in the past or even in the present times I, I see. So I don't model my viewing interests according to success and failure. But I'm very well aware that these notions exist around. And uh, my only, how should I say, my only philosophy of that is taken from a football coach, a football <laughs> manager who said that the, he gave the team, uh, if they was, were successful in a game, in a match, they would, they, he gave them 24 hours to celebrate. If they were not successful, he gave them 24 hours to weep or cry or complain or whatever, and then stop. And then the next day back to work. So it was the same for me. I mean, I celebrated for one day, then I went to Berlin. Actually, in the summer, they made, they showed the film and they gave the awards with audience and so on. So I went there for that. But for me, that's that. I don't really think of that. I'm back to work and I'm interested in making films and that's it. I mean, I don't, I don't see myself now as being successful because if I would see myself as being successful now, I should have to consider the films I've done, which some of them were not successful as being failures. And I don't believe they are failures, to be honest. So. I was in Karavivari the year that um, you premiered, I do not care if we go down in history as barbarians. And I remember okay. vividly your introduction to that film, along with your delegation on stage, you advised the audience that the film started strongly, also ended strongly, but maybe got a bit dull in the middle <laughs> and it was okay if they left and came back for the finish or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, but I think, I think it's like that with that film. I think it is like that in a way. I don't remember. No, yeah, no, I remember that. It's true. It won the main prize there too. Absolutely, yes. I'm also aware you, you're prolific, and you probably weren't only making bad luck banging at that time. You perhaps had other projects running simultaneously, or I mean, I, I've seen your recent Holocaust documentary, The Exit of the Trains. I know you had another film at Berlin. Are you in, in multiple headspaces on multiple film shoots at any one time? Oh, I would love to, but I'm not. Uh, I only made uh, two other short films, which was uh, one was in Locarno, one was in Venice, and I'm, I'm finishing two other short films now. I hope by the end of the year, the post-production will be over for them. And I have a feature film project to be shot. I wanted to do it in the spring, but it seems it's not going to be possible because of we need some more financing for it. So probably I will shoot it in the summer if everything goes well. And uh, yes, I, but you know, this is also another thing that um, people say you, I, I work a lot and it's not true. I used to work a lot when I was, was doing television and advertising. 
because for a living, I had to do that. That was really, really close to exploitation in a way, you know, I mean, working like 16 hours a day for months, you know, and all of a sudden when I decided that even if I don't do that much money to stop that, I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm working for my fears. It's like a holiday for me in a way. I mean, it is work, but it's also a, a, a work which I, I love and I'm interested. So I could work. I mean, if you work, I'm not saying 12 hours, but eight hours every day for the films. I mean, you, you, you can make three films every year with no problem if you do that. And uh, and I don't I and I think for, for me it's important the the quantity it's really important only because I think this gives me a kind of freedom because if I would make like many of my colleagues do one film every four years or every five years sometimes even more I would feel very I wouldn't be free I I would feel that you know it's five years I stayed five years now I have to do something relevant or big or successful. And I'm spared of that. I try to be spared of that. If I, if I, if I would be able to do two films a year, I don't know. I, I would be very happy. I don't want to make successful films or important films. I just want to make films uh, that can be relevant uh, in one way or another. And yeah, I wouldn't do, even if somebody would tell me, you know, God would come and tell me, wait 10 years and you would make the most important film in the universe, The Citizen Kane or Vertigo or something. I would say, no, I want to make 10 films in this time, even if they are not that good. Did you conceive of Bad Luck Banging in this three-part structure from the get-go? And and how did you arrive at the, what you wanted to include in your lexicon in the second segment? Oh, that's an interesting thing because uh, it wasn't from the beginning like that. But at some point, uh, the script was somehow blocked. The project, the idea, because the idea started with this sex tape scene and uh, I saw some cases in the press like that, more or less uh, similar so I did a little bit of research also in the countries in Europe. I, I noticed some cases like that. So I wanted to do this story. But then I, I felt that I have to stop because it's not the story interesting enough. The story is quite tabloid and quite poor, if you want. But it's right in the middle, I think, of many, many, it's in the crossroads of problems like morality, body, sex, uh, you know, freedom, rights, uh, the digital world, the images, the creation of images, so cinema in, in, a, in a very broad way. So I said, well, I have to find a way to expand this story into some, 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 some other directions. And then I saw a Cubist painting exhibition. I was in Paris to do the sound mix of the Barbarian film that you mentioned. And uh, all of a sudden, I had like a revelation after I saw... Because, you know, in a Cubist painting, for instance, you can have a, a, a face, but you have the eyes here, the mouth here, the front here, the nose here, and everything is like broken on the, on the canvas. And I said, wow, that's exactly how I would like to make this film, to, to have it uh, in parts, to have the parts put on the screen, like not coming together. The parts are not still put together. At some point, I wanted to call the film materials for a possible film, in a way, you know. So it's, it's like, it, it's exactly like that. It's like the materials are there and the film is the viewer who makes it in the end. So this is why I think there's always need for, for this film, at least for an active viewer, for a viewer who really interrogates what he's, he or she sees or what they see to try and make sense of, uh, of that. So, yeah, so that was the idea. And then, because I was collecting anyway, 
images and quotations and those kind of things, not knowing what for exactly, only having an intuition. Then I had this idea of a dictionary of a lexicon, which is a little bit inspired by the dictionary of, uh, of the devil of um, Ambrose Beers or the Flaubert dictionary of received ideas. And I said, maybe I could do something like that in, in, in cinema form, you know. And yeah, then little by little all come together. And regarding the quotations or the things that you can find, you know, if you're open uh, and if your antennae are open to, to things, then you find uh, what, you, what you need. And uh, I was, uh, there is one historian which I really, uh, I'm interested in, in his thinking and I admire him a lot, uh, is Carlo Ginsburg. He's an Italian that invented this uh, field of history, which is called microhistory. So uh, he speaks at some point, he calls it the law of good neighbor, which says that the book you need is right next to the book you think you need, you know, for something. So, so he always does, does research in a quite of hazardous way. So he's not only looking at what he thinks that he, he might have need for a project, but to other things. And all of a sudden you can find an information here and something there. And they come together in a in a more well in a chaotical way, but some somehow better than if you just look at what you think you need. As the the protagonist wanders around, it's it's Bucharest, right? The, she, that is where it is set. Yeah, and she wanders around, and it seems all quite banal. But every now and again, there's an eruption of rudeness or you know, violence of a usually verbal sort. Um, was was that all scripted or? Did that actually just emerge as verite? Oh, um, it's, uh, it was like that. So there are uh, things which are uh, obviously scripted, like some of the discussions, but they are taken, most of them, from observation from, from, uh, or from experience. Like the, 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 the cars parking all the time on the sidewalk, which is a kind of class thing here also. I mean, if somebody has a big car and, uh, you know, he, he feels entitled to put it on the sidewalk which is a public space so it, 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 it and and i always have fight with this kind of morals but even in these cases all the background is not uh, is, is in a verite completely i mean we never made we never stopped people from crossing w w when we were shooting it was done well in this way it, it, so some scenes are staged in front of the camera, but the rest is completely documentary. And and it it took I, it took me quite a lot of uh, of confidence to do that because uh, at some point you know uh, actually the DOP said, uh, but this is going to be very banal because this city is not uh, Bombay, is not New York, is not Calcutta, is not Cairo, it's just a banal Eastern European city. But in the end, I actually I I, I said, well, this is the city we have. Uh, maybe there's something relevant here let's just go and shoot and see because I, I, I believe that somehow in this urban science you can spot a little bit what's behind uh, the, in the values of the community so to speak no. well thank you so very much uh, Raru um, I've been speaking with Raru Judah you're listening to Primal Screen on 3RRR thank you so very much yeah. <laughs> okay thank you Triple R 
before we, we dig into our review of Tatan, I did mention at the start of the show that this is a feature that's been written and directed by the French filmmaker Julia Decono, whose debut was Raw, which was a wonderful film, I thought, about a young woman who, who basically finds people very, very tasty. And now in Tatan, we have another young woman at the centre, Alexia, played by Agatha Roussel, who, as a child, is involved in a rather horrific car accident and now has a titanium plate fitted to her skull. I might as well just play a little clip, and this is the start of the film. Here we go. That was the opening scene to Titan, which we're just about to review. The, the, the film opens with uh, young Alexia sitting in the back seat of a car and, and kind of terrorising her dad quite a bit, who, who's driving with several kicks to the back of his chair. And obviously it, it doesn't end uh, so well uh, for either of them, really. <laughs> Look, I'm laughing, but bloody hell, this film was intense. Cerise, what were your thoughts? Intense is one word. Mm. Um, it's a whole lot of stuff. Again, we've picked two amazingly uh, full full films. There's a, there's a <laughs> lot to unpack in both of them and only so much that's probably wise to so as not to spoil things for folk. Um, yeah. But its, it's reputation, like with her previous film, Raw, does precede it. Again, there's been the sort of hyperbolic... Uh, advanced press of well at uh, screenings here or there some people fainted mm. uh, others heads exploded people <laughs> lost limbs you know, all this sort of stuff yeah it arrived here with that sort of same um press from its sydney film festival screenings apparently umpteen people fainted oh yeah i think um, it's a publicist dream isn't oh, it, it is a publicist dream i mean that stuff just takes care of itself it's <laughs> um yeah it is um I, I, look, how about I talk a little bit about what this film reminded me of yeah. to give a ballpark idea of what some people might expect. Um, and like with Raw, it, there's a, quite an element of body horror. Yes. Uh, in a Cronenbergian sense. Um, Apparently Dakono's Dakono's parents are both surgeons. so she, Of course they are. Yeah, it really, really yeah. shows, hey. Um, so she has this, like, fascination, I suppose, with bodies and what bad things can happen to them. Neither of them are race car drivers, just out of curiosity <laughs> on the side. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> because there's that Cronenbergian mm, body horror, but yes. then there's also that Cronenberg circa crash. Yes. Circa J.G. Ballard adaptation um, that's in the mix here as well. A, a really, a real sexualization of motor vehicles and things that can happen in them, with them. Um, certain sorts of engagements with them that... Uh, yeah, I really don't know how much to say, Flick. It's, it's, um, what would you say? What would I say? Yeah, look, I, like I always put us in this position. Every week, Sirius, I bring you in here and I choose a film where it 
it's very hard to talk about it without spoiling it. I would just say that it really pushes boundaries in a very interesting way in terms of um, sexuality and 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 intimacy between the characters because the characters, I think at the core of this film is this sense of um, parenting and the, and the problems or <laughs> maybe the complications of parenting Um but also connection. I think that a lot of the characters within this film are looking for connection, have lost connection in different ways, and the grieving process as well comes through, more so in the second act of this film. And I do think that this film kind of exists in two different parts. Um, in fact, it's so interesting that a lot of the more controversial scenes are really placed at the start of the film and then as the film goes on, I mean, it does, there is at least one quite horrific scene towards the end, but there's actually, it's almost, structure-wise, this is a really curious film for me. Yeah. So it opens, similar to um, Bad Luck Bunging or Looney Porn, which we opened with, with a quite a, you know, shocking intro, you know, it, it's got a bold intro. Um and then it almost sinks after that really hectic start. Whoever's still left standing is allowed to then sink into this second half of the film, which takes up probably actually two-thirds of the film. And it's kind of like a reinvention of the character. And um, I don't want to give too much away, but I think that that second uh, storyline kind of spoke a bit more to that sense of disconnection and and kind of how we try to find a sense of home, perhaps. Well, I got a huge uh, Beau Travail vibe from mm, it. Uh, Claire yes. Denis is definitely in the mix here as well. And so there's a, a fiercely homosocial environment with a lot of um, folks who seem um, to, to be unaware of the homoerotics of oh, their environment. I know. Whilst Sim- while simultaneously seemingly reveling in them, just sort of unconsciously. Oh, like, yeah, very buff firemen with their shirts off dancing beautifully to Future Islands in a lovely violet light. Yeah, I mean, say no more. Very <laughs> – those scenes were beautifully tender. Yeah. and But also I think because of Alexa's position within that, also very fraught. Yes, yes, there's a real sense of – danger mm. uh, for Alexa at any rate and and perhaps one other character there who's become very attached to Alexa. Yeah, yeah. and that's a curious pairing and I think what is the real skill of Dukono is she's able to really balance that and it's it's kind of exceptional um, because it never tips into or sometimes it does actually tip into this very uncomfortable, you know, working out what their the nature of their relationship is. It does is. get uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> to say the least. Boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, but then this is a film about some some boundaries being defined in ways that we mightn't find conventional um, and might find confronting. Uh, boundaries between humanity and, I, I hesitate to say, inhumanity, Um the, the animate and the inanimate? Yes, um, that's a great way around Yeah, it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, there's a whole, whole lot of play. And, you know, this is uh, – there was a movement around the start of the – I suppose the start of this century, the new French extremity where people like Gaspar Noé, mm. uh, Claire Denis with uh, Trouble Every Day, uh, a few other filmmakers were really pushing – pushing the boundaries of what we might expect to see on screen and and not be too confronted by it to think, God, I'm never going to see one of their films again. Never again. And go, 
until you hear that Gaspar Noé is making a 3D film called Love and think, oh, for fuck's sake, I've got to see that. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel I'm kind of curious to um, people watch a bit in the cinemas for this film because I think the Titan could be a film that really uh, could be a relationship ender, you know, or, or end a date before it's even gotten started. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it could go any number of ways. Pear-shaped, definitely one of them. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I interrupted you. We, we, we were about to start about this um, Tatan's positioning as extreme cinema. Well, yeah, and there's a, a knowing bit of casting. Bertrand Benello mm-hmm. plays uh, Alexa's father. Um, it doesn't matter if you know that that's who it is or not. And Benello's a, another director who has been associated with that movement and who's Probably highest profile film around these parts would be Nocturama that screened at MIF a few years ago, which was something of um, a shopping mall heist film with, well, it wasn't so extreme as all that, but it it still had some tension and some confrontation and confrontational Mm. aspects Mm. um, and and was actually quite a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, a really interesting bit of casting though. Um, I mean, I I don't know how well Benello is known in, in France and other francophone territories but there's no accident no accident he was cast no i'm no. presuming uh Ducourneau sought him rather than made him audition which is a weird thing to do so you're a director or, or and you think, think yeah. you're an actor now do you <laughs> audition like the rest of them or wrote it with with him is him in mind i think yeah, maybe probably yeah I, I suppose like something about extreme cinema that i think sometimes it will uh onto the side of you know, by its very nature, go too much into the excess without being anchored to something. I mean, um, Tatain really has everything. You know, it's got excessive violence, um, torture of sorts, um, extreme sex, um, and and kind of uh, it's just extreme in every way. But yet it has got a very tender core to it, and I think that's where the strength of Tatain lies. I'm, I still haven't quite made up my mind about this film, I definitely did prefer Raw, but I felt like Raw was a more um, really conventional film in in uh, contrast to to Tatan. So I'm kind of just excited that Dakono's going in that direction. But I don't know. Yeah, I just think there's some moments in it that I just absolutely love and possibly are some of my, you know, real standout scenes that have got under my skin, but I'm not sure if the film in its entirety um, – I enjoyed. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. Mm. Um, I mean, look, there's some actually really funny stuff in this as well. <laughs> yes. Some, some very dark humour, real gallows humour. But there is there is some real tenderness and um, and that does does give it a lot more dimensionality than – I mean, for example, I, I really do like this a lot more than I like Gaspar Noé's work as a rule. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's what I was saying before about extreme cinemas, cinema. I think that Noé sometimes – goes for excess without having enough um, – without it being grounded enough in in human emotion or, or, or complexity. Or feminism. Or feminism. Yeah, no. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's something that yeah. can't be said of Zucorno, who very yeah. much is aware of the gaze and who has it and yeah. who's subject to it and with what um, ramifications. Mm. Uh, she's – there's – there are – going to be people writing phds around her work oh, they probably already are but um yeah uh, her works um i'm sure they're experienced very differently by 
um, viewers across the gender spectrum. Yeah, I think um, so. Because it's mm. quite uncomfortable viewing. Actually, something that I thought about was that a lot of her work seems to return to this idea of constraining bodily impulse. Um, you know, in Raw, that's a rather obvious one in terms of <laughs> trying not to eat people. Um, but in Tatan, you have this very visceral um, repetition of Alexia trying to bandage up her body. And I think mm. that that and her very changing body, I think that really st- stuck with me uh, visually, but also I just felt every bit of tape that she wrapped around her body and the pain that that carried and also just trying to move into a world and be accepted in a world. And I think that just really, I thought it was really powerful. It is. And I, I think for um, a lot of trans viewers, there's... Um going to be a lot in this that might resonate in various unexpected ways um yeah there's there's a lot of play with with gender and with genre and these two words as people Mm. like to remind us actually are the same in french um Mm. um, it's such um there's such a lot to unpack with this um i would urge people to see it but then i know that I would probably get some blowback from some people who said, what were you thinking when you recommended that film to me? I fainted, my legs fell off, all of the rest happened, the head exploded. That's how you yeah. know you're doing your job, Cerise. Yeah. Is that, is that? Yeah, that's the sign of a good reviewer when people go come at you on the street and say, and get angry. angry. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, did you make me watch that? <laughs> it won the Palm Door at Cannes. It's not just us saying people should go and see this. I mean, Spike Lee led a jury that... I made Ducorno only the second woman of all time to win the the most prestigious award on the film festival mm. circuit and, and perhaps the international film, mm. the art film world. Yeah, and the other woman was Jane Campion, who we reviewed Power of the Dog last week, so you can listen back to that. Uh, if you've just tuned in and you're wondering what if the Cerise on about, we are talking about... Tatan, um, which is currently screening at all cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. On tonight's show, we did indeed review Tatan. We also started with uh, the wonderful Bad Luck Banging on Looney Pond. Hey, Flick, I have a fun fact. Yeah, go for Those it. Those two films, like these are two of the more extreme offerings in cinemas this year, right? They've both won some big awards. Uh, Bad Luck Banging won the, the silver silver beer or golden beer. I forget which beer. That's which rrr, beer? Rrr. <laughs> Excuse the New Zealand accent, folks. Um, at, at Berlin, the, the main film award. Uh, both are their respective countries' entrance in the Oscars for Best International. Oh. No, it's no longer Best Foreign Language Film. It's Best International Feature Film or something like that. Can you... Has there ever been a more interesting Whoa, I race for the, at the Oscars? I and shouldn't also think so. It's so shocking. I mean, like, we're so used to bagging out the Oscars, but that's a pretty uh, controversial. Can't wait to see that montage <laughs> at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely tuning in this year. Um, all righty. Well, it's almost time for us to go. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's show. Big thank you to Mish, who edits our podcast. And next week, we've got some new releases coming up for you. You can always listen back to the show online on rrr.org.au. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 